You know, last, uh, last fall, on the very first day of our school uh, opening, one of our teaching assistants uh, came into my office a little out of breath and said, Craig, we, we lost one of the kids. Not what you want to hear first day of school. And, uh, and there's some parents of our school here. I'm sh- it's all good, okay? The story ends well. Nothing to worry about. Safe school. And so, so naturally, we get up and we start searching to the building. The problem is this building is kind of big. So there's so many different places. If a kid really wanted to hide, that they could hide. And so we start searching, you know, not frantic or anything like that. It was very calm and uh, mild-mannered. And uh, once we searched the whole building, we're like, we can't find him. Where did he go? And you start to worry, did, did somehow he escape out the door? I don't think so. And then I noticed the door of a fireside room, which is one of the office rooms behind me, was, was closed. I'm like, well, that's not closed normally. And so we go in there and he found him hiding, hiding underneath a pew that was in there. And uh, so I was like, hey, buddy, come here. Let's, let's sit down. Let's have a, have a little talk. And I was like, what are you doing? Why did you run and hide? And he's like, well, um, I, I hit a kid during lunch, and I was nervous that I was going to get in trouble. And so he ran, and he hid. And so I asked him, I said, well, did that work? <laughs> did running and hiding in this room help you uh, get out of trouble? And he's like, well... No. I said, no. In fact, it actually got him into more trouble in several different ways. One, you know, I, I, you know, I had to talk to his parents and bring his parents involved into that situation. But also, it, it actually brought him into the place where he could be hurt. Uh, when he ran and when he hid, he, he removed himself from the community and he put himself in a place of danger. What if he ran out into the street? What if he tripped and fell somewhere and we didn't know where he was? It's like in all these different ways, him running and hiding uh, putting himself outside the community, placed him in a p- place of, of danger. And this is kind of what John is getting after as he begins to show us, you know, what does it mean to walk in fellowship with the light? And he's continuing some of this theme from, from last week's sermon as we started First John this summer, this theme of fellowship. And, and what does it mean to have fellowship, not with God, but, but with each other and the relationship between those two things? And here he is kind of showing us how we actually walk in that fellowship. And he's saying, listen, because God is light, that is like light, because God actually is light, if we want to fellowship with him, we actually have to walk in the light. Because it says there's no darkness in him. And so to be in darkness means that you actually can't have fellowship with God. The problem for us is that we love darkness, and John actually recognizes that in this passage, right? We all struggle with sin. We love darkness, and we love to hide. It's, we love hiding our sin. We don't like bringing that stuff out into the light, and so we're just like that student who ran and hid. Uh, only it doesn't make it better when we do that. It makes it worse. We're, we're just like Adam and Eve who, when exposed, ran to cover their own nakedness. And, you know, our problem is not our instinct to cover that that exposure to sin, that nakedness that we feel when we've been caught in sin, um, we ought to be covered in that. But the, the problem for us is, is actually how we do it, how we try to cover ourselves. And when we hide our sin, when we walk in darkness, we're trying to cover our nakedness on our own and our own power. And all this does is actually lead us into more darkness and into danger because we're actually unable to do this task of covering ourselves. So what is the way out of this? What is the way forward? How do we actually walk in the light of God? And what does that mean? How do we have fellowship with God and his people? And you know, John's answer for us this morning is both really simple and profoundly challenging. And it's this, it's confess your sins. Verse nine, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
Right? Confession is the thing that brings us into the light. It, it exposes us, showing us our inability to cover ourselves. It places us in the community of light, and it, it doesn't let us isolate like sin wants us to do. If a confession brings us into this deeper fellowship with each other and strengthens us as we learn to walk in the light together. And so as we consider this idea of fellowship and, and, and confession this morning, there's just two really important things I think we're going to learn about confession. And the first is this, that Confession exposes us to the light. Confession uh, exposes us to the light. And this is like the really painful part of what John is showing us this morning. Um, that, that, that it's until you are exposed in your sin, laid bare, uh, you can't be clothed. He's showing us this paradox that the way to cover your sin is to expose your sin. And in this, our sin is fully covered in the blood of of Christ, and, and this is all set up and necessary because of the very nature of who God is. God is light. We see this here at the beginning, verse 5. He says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is light, perfect and pure light, no darkness at all. Well, what does it mean that God is light? Well, it, it means a lot of things. Uh, and, and there's a few that I want to I mention because light in scripture brings life uh, about, right? And there's no life without light. And, and everything else that light does actually leads to life. It illuminates pathways. It was the light that, that led the people out of, out of Egypt. There's this pillar of light that led them. And uh, it's a, God's word is called a lamp to our feet. Um, and it also exposes sin in order to lead us to life. And in a lot of ways, Right, the entire story of scripture could be told through the relationship between the light and the darkness. In the beginning, what was there? There was darkness. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And from then until now, darkness and light kind of alternate between day and night. And so where does the end of the story lead us? To a place where there is no more darkness, where it is only light. And so the history of scripture is actually a movement from darkness to light. So to say that God is light is to say that he is actually already living in that end of day reality. He is living in that place of eternal light and life and he is leading us to that final day when darkness will be no more. He's leading us to the place where he dwells, the place of forever light and life. This is why, right, in order to have fellowship with God means that we have to walk with God in that very light. Verses six to seven, he says this, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So what, is, what he's saying is this. He's saying is, is that it, because this is true of him, we can't have fellowship with God. We can't have communion with him in that light while we still walk in darkness. Darkness and light can't coexist together. Darkness is vanished in the light. Uh, so what does this mean to walk in darkness? Well, to walk in darkness is to not trust what John writes here, that the blood of Christ actually covers our sin. Right? Either the blood of Christ actually works to cover us or it doesn't. And so to walk in darkness is to not trust the blood of Christ to cover our sin. And it sees exposure to sin as the worst possible thing. Right? To walk in the light sees exposure as the way to life. Right? So to walk in darkness is to hide. And to walk in light means that you confess your sin. You let the light come in and expose it, which sounds kind of crazy if you know the dark corners of your heart at all, 
and those things that we try to hide, if you know those things at all, this sounds crazy unless the blood of Jesus actually does work. But if the blood of Jesus actually does cleanse you from all sin, like he says here in verse 9, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Unless that's true, uh, If this is true, then confessing and exposing our sin is actually the only way forward for the children of light. And you know, what's interesting is John isn't saying that you have to be perfect. And actually in verse 10, he says, if we have not sinned, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. He knows that you still struggle to sin. He knows that you aren't perfect. It is those who walk in darkness that pretend to not need any help with their sin They walk as if they don't need the blood of Jesus. This is what makes them liars. They call themselves righteous when he says here, Jesus is the righteous one. The only way forward for us, for people like all of us who struggle with sin, is by confessing that you indeed are a sinner in need of something that you cannot manufacture for yourself. The only way into the light is to let it expose you, to confess your sins and trust that God alone can offer the covering that you need, and only one covering works when confronted by the light of God, the cover that the light of God himself provides in the blood of Jesus. So if exposure is what we need, what does this actually look like for us? Even if you are ready to walk in the light and you're ready to confess your sin, you're like, okay, I see I need this, I trust the blood of Jesus to help me. How do we actually walk in the light? Well, there's an interesting aspect to this passage that gives us an answer to that, and it's the second aspect that we learn about confession and walking in the light here. It's through community. What he's talking about is not something you can do on your own. And the second thing we find is that confession brings us into the community of light. Uh, this is where you walk with others in the light, challenging and encouraging your brother and sister to walk in the light. You confess your sin so that you you don't confess your sin so you can just go and do your worst the next day, right? But so that you can go and sin no more. And we see this here in verse seven. Look back at verse seven with me. It says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So he's saying this, if we confess our sins, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And it's really interesting argument that he's setting up because uh, it's unexpected. The way the argument begins back in verse six, you think he would be saying this if you have fellowship with him while you walk in the darkness, you don't have fellowship with him. And if you walk in the light, you do have fellowship with him. But that's actually not what he says. He says if you have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, says you, uh, he says you do not practice the truth. Well, that doesn't mean you don't still have a degree of fellowship with him. He's just saying, if you are sinning and hiding your sin, you aren't, uh, he's not saying you're not covered by the blood of Christ in that moment. If you believe in Jesus, he has cleansed you and his cleansing doesn't go away even when we hide. It just means that in that moment, you are living a lie. What you profess and what you live in your life actually aren't matching up. And, and when you walk in the light, who do, who do we have fellowship with? It, it says each other. Right, walking in the light, being exposed, confessing our sin isn't just this closet moment between me and Jesus. It's meant to be a communal thing. The implication is that we are to confess our sins to one another, to each other. Right, the implication is that uh, we are to live life with each other open and honest and to, to bring our sins out into the light with each other. It doesn't mean you need to stand up right now and share your deepest, darkest thoughts. Please do not do that. That'd be extremely awkward for everybody uh, that's watching. Um, but it does mean we actually share them with each other. 
Uh, in his book, uh, Life Together, uh, the late Dietrich Bonhoeffer, speaking on confessing our sin, points out how isolating sin can become for people. Uh, the very nature of sin actually drives you away from community. If you even think back in the Garden of Eden, it was sin that drove Adam and Eve away from communion with each other and with God himself. It drew them to hide, drew them to shame. And this is what sin does. Sin wants to hide. Because what happens when you bring sin out into the light? It dies. And so the only place that sin can live is in the darkness. It wants to hide. And, and this is why, you know, confessing our sin is the, is the thing that actually draws us together towards fellowship with one another because we can't have fellowship around the lie that we're all okay. If everyone in this room says, no, I'm fine, I don't need any help, well, that's a lie, and we can't have fellowship around lies. You can't have deep communion with each other around lies. This isn't fellowship. This isn't communion. John says that makes us liars. He's saying it's okay to not be okay because that's just the truth. <laughs> we're all needy people. I think, unfortunately, for many of us, we actually have a wrong view of the church that actually makes it really hard for us to live like John is talking about here. You know, maybe you, you become a Christian and you think, oh, when I become a Christian, I was a bad person. Now I'm a good person, and so I'm going to be part of the church, and the church is filled with other people that are Christians, and, and they're good people, and we're not bad people anymore, right? And it's just kind of, in, in this, we kind of create this fantasy of what the church is made of, just made of really good, righteous people who no longer struggle with sin. And when we have that vision of what church is in our, in our minds, uh, when, we, when we are sinned against by someone else in the church, we're shocked. We're like, here too? You mean there's bad people in this room too? And Bonhoeffer writes, you know, many Christians are horrified when a sinner is discovered among the righteous. It's like, really, here, we have those people. Well, this is true even in this room now. You will get sinned against if you're here long enough, sinned against by other people in this room, even maybe by me, believe it or not. And the, the biggest problem with this kind of wrong expectation for, for community, this wrong expectation for who's in the room in the church, is that this false vision of what the church believes, uh, what the church is, kind of brings you to the lie that if, if I tell someone the bad thing I did, then maybe that means I'm out of the community, right? Like if you have to get to this measure of goodness to be in the community, if I, as soon as I drop below whatever that measure of goodness is, uh, I'm not in. And so does that make for a community that shares sin with each other? No, right? That, that creates a community where all you can do is hide and uh, hide those deep, dark problems that you have because you feel like this is only the place for the perfect. But friends, may this not be so for us. The church is made for sinners. It's, it's a hospital for the sick. Don't be surprised here when people are sick, right? We aren't the measure for righteousness, thank God. Let Jesus be that. Right? We can let him be that by, when we confess our sins. Right? This is why when we walk in the light, confessing our sin, it doesn't just bring us into fellowship with God, but actually fellowship with each other. Because our bond, right, the thing that we have in common is twofold. We are all in the same situation. People who struggle with sin in need of grace. And we all have experienced the grace and forgiveness of God in Christ. And it kind of levels the playing field. No one's better than anybody else in this room. We all struggle. And that means even you know, the pastors and the people who will lead you in the future, they are not your righteousness. Jesus is. And so often we get that so confused that we can't help but dis be disappointed when your pastor sins against you because like, they were supposed to be the perfect one. I can't tell you how many stories I hear of people who walk away from the faith because they had a really bad pastor who sinned against them. 
And that's not to undermine the, the idea that pastors ought to set a particular standard. I'm not saying we can just go and do whatever we want. If I go murder somebody, please fire me. Well, I'll probably be in prison. Uh, but either way, you should fire me if I do some things that are really bad. But when we have wrong expectations for our leaders and our pastors and people around us, uh, we, we forget what grace is for. It's for all of us. We're all needy. Jesus Christ is our righteousness, not, uh, not, a, not the people who lead us. And when we finally, when we believe that this is true, that we're all people who sin, when we can finally say the truth that, that we have sinned, um, it makes it possible for us to stop pretending that we have it all together. And it makes it possible for us to share our sins with one another because the only person we expect to be righteous is Jesus the righteous. And when people start confessing, it actually opens up the community to be honest. And it brings the whole community into the pathway of the light. Living in that end of day moment when darkness is no more because we don't let the darkness creep into our lives. And so, you know, when we talk about confessing our sins to one another, let me just say a few words about this. What, how, like, what does this practice actually look like? Well, for one, it means that you need to share with each other honestly. To quote uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, which we adhere to, it says this, that we need to confess particular sins particularly. It's a classic Westminster line, and uh, it's a good tongue twister. But, you know, if I tell you, um, yeah, I got angry with my kids, I yelled at them, um, to confess my sin isn't to say, yeah, I just had a hard day today. Um, I made a mistake, but it's to say plainly, this is what I did, uh, name it. And it's hard to name our sins sometimes because we know how ugly it is. When you, you, know, when you speak it out loud, it's like, ooh, that's actually maybe worse than I thought it was when it was just in my head. Uh, because sin is, is ugly. But it is bringing that ugliness of sin into the light that helps it to die. And, you know, on the flip side, if, if you're the one that's hearing someone confess sin, it might sound ugly to you, too. Uh, they might confess something that is uh, really bad. So how do you respond? Well, the first thing out of your mouth should be the, like the words of verse 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you remind that person, you are cleansed from all unrighteousness. You are forgiven. You don't feel forgiven when you confess your sin. In that moment, you still feel the, the yuck of it. But that's not what's true of you. What's true of you is actually the righteousness of Christ. It's this holy miracle. And that's the first thing we should do for each other. When someone confesses sin to you, remind them that they are forgiven in Christ. Apply the healing balm of Jesus, the, 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 the blood of Christ that's the only cleansing power that, that we have, that, and encourage them to now walk in that light. Continue living in the light, which is continually confessing sin, not letting the darkness get inside of you, and encouraging them to, to walk always in the light. And we continue to walk with each other and help them to continue to walk in the light. You know, one of the things about sin is like sometimes you get these situations where someone confesses, you're like, oh, man, that's hard. Jesus forgives you, but you never talk to him again about it. Well, that's not good. Being in community means we actually follow up with each other. We actually help each other walk in the light together as, as a community. And, you know, sometimes, though, some, some might confess something to you that's pretty severe that you're like, well, I can't handle this. Well, that's okay. There's a bigger, broader community. You can talk to your pastors. You can talk to other counselors. And we can get other people uh, in, involved in this situation to help that person continue to walk in the life. And I can promise you this, that whatever sin that you are struggling with, whatever thing, maybe you've made a vow to yourself, I'm never going to tell anybody about this thing that I've done. Whatever that is, uh, you are not alone in your sin. Your sin actually is not original. Neither is your temptation to hide it. And the only way you can experience the healing fellowship with the body and Christ is to actually bring it out into the light. 
to bring it out into the open. And it's only there that you can experience the blood of Christ that covers all your sin. Confession brings us into the light of fellowship with a community of people who need to be saved by the light of life. And we're in this together, united not by our righteousness, but by Jesus, the righteous. And as we walk together in this, it doesn't mean that you just bring your sin into light and you go your own way. But in fellowship, we walk together. We repent of our sin, which is to turn from it, or we turn from the path of darkness to the path of light. And we help each other along that way. Even if we're limping and dragging our legs, we, it's where we go. You know, and one thing that can be kind of confusing about John and the way he writes in this is it, it could seem, maybe this is something you struggle with when you read this book, that uh, walking in the light doesn't mean that you're still going to struggle with sin, right? How is it possible to walk in the light, the thought goes, to be exposed by the light, to be in the community with the people of light and actually still be someone who struggles with sin? This is a struggle I imagine all of us have to some degree, the worry that, oh no, I did something bad. Does that mean I'm not in fellowship with God? Did I, did I lose it? Did I, do I need to just run into confession really quick and then I'm good uh, again until I sin again and, and, and then I'm put back on the path of darkness? And, you know, I will say we actually have good reason to fear this because what are we fearing in this moment? Well, we're fearing the wrath of God, right? God hates sin and he is consistent in his character to have anger towards it. And so when we sin, the, the, the way the logic goes, we think that God is angry towards us. And, you know, John knows who he's writing to. He knows his audience. He knows you and I included. And uh, he says this in chapter 2, verse 20. He says, my little children. First, this is kind of a, an endearment term for John to his people. My beloved. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's saying, listen, I don't want you to sin. We, don't, we, don't, we aren't saved from our sin to go off and give ourselves to it. We're supposed to die to sin and live to righteousness like we read in uh, Peter. Uh, I don't want you to sin, but if you do, or more, when you do, you're in good hands. Right? You're in the hands of Christ, the righteous one. Christ, the, the one who pleads our case on our behalf, who more than that becomes the propitiation for us, is what he says here. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation, that's a, that's a big word, and there's been much written and debated about with this word. And I'll say just a few things about it to help us. And, you know, this word in the Greek is a very rare word in the New Testament. It was often used in the wider world to speak about pagan gods pouring their wrath out on sacrifices. But here John uses that word to tell us that God has spent his wrath against sin on Jesus, right? He's the propitiation for our sins, right? The, the wrath bearer for our sins in the world's sin. And because God is, God's judgment for our sin has been poured out on Jesus because his blood sacrifice is a thing that he says covers us, we don't need to fear confession of sin, because the judgment, right, the wrath, the sting of death has already been taken care of on the cross, right? Freedom from sin now comes through confession of sin because the wrath of sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus. And this he's showing us, this is a new age has dawned. This is the, the new covenant in Christ has come, a covenant made by the blood sacrifice of Jesus is here. It's everlasting and it will bring redemption of the entire world. In the world, world here is, is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's cosmos 
which is bigger than just our planet. He's talking about all creation is going to be saved by Jesus. All that he has created, everything is now brought into this new age where if anyone confesses their sins and rests on the grace of God, they will be saved. This is an offer to every tribe, right, every tongue. What's beautiful is this brings redemption not just to humanity, but actually all that is created is going to come into this light. Right, as God is light and living in that eschatological day, right, that end times day, he is bringing all creation into that light through Jesus, who has made a way through his perfect sacrifice, his blood. And the way that we can walk in the light as he is in the light is by confessing our sins, by trusting that the blood of Christ actually works, that it actually will cover our sins by humbling ourselves at his feet, saying, listen, I need you. I am needy. I am a sinner. Save me. And then we learn to practice walking in the light in community with each other. Now let me say this. This doesn't mean that there's not consequences for your sin here on this side of earth. Depending on what it is that you've done, there could be severe consequences for you. Uh, this doesn't mean that overcoming sin is easy. Right? The pathway of the darkness will always be the easiest pathway for us. It's always going to be our temptation to run and to hide. But what this does mean is that we will be forgiven and brought into the light if we confess our sins. And so no matter what the consequence for our sins here on this side of the light, we know that at the end of all things that we will be with God. And this is what we see here in this, that promise in, in verse 9, that if we confess our sins, that he will forgive us and cleanse us. This is what is promised to you and I. This is what transforms us and actually helps us to walk in the light of Christ, saying whatever consequences I face on this side of eternity is nothing compared to the weight of glory that awaits for me in the light of Christ. So the question for you to ponder this morning is this, what, is, what are those things that you're hiding? And why are you hiding them? What is keeping you in the dark? What is keeping you trusting your own strength to handle those sins in the deep, dark corner? You know, the, the interesting thing is that, uh, believe it or not, God actually knows those deep, dark corners of your heart, those places that you don't want to let anyone into, that you think are so gross that if you told anybody, they would turn away from you. You know, in the cross, what we find is that it's not, not the case, but Christ actually turns towards you and dies and lays his life down that you might have life in him, that, that, that there's no more shame. He is a great shame eater, eating up all the darkness, even those dark corners of your heart. And the only way to experience this, that, that light is to have that light shine in you through confessing your sin, bringing it out into the light. I know at least one thing that's really hard for us in this is it's hard to trust other people, right? You don't walk up to strangers and talk to them about the deep, dark things that are happening in your heart. Uh, and, you know, the reality is we're a young church and maybe you don't have those relationships yet with each other to be able to trust somebody. Uh, maybe you haven't built the relationships that can handle this. And so the, the challenge, I think, is you got to start building them. Those relationships don't happen on accident. It's over meals together, spending time with each other, sharing life with each other. And you begin to trust somebody and you begin to open up and share a little bit and share a little bit. And what you'll notice in community is once one person goes first and shares something that they've done that's a little bit gross in their life, uh, more people start to share. Because they're like, oh, this is a place where we don't have to be perfect? Cool, I'm not either. Here's the thing I did. And then it, people actually start confessing their sin and they can actually start receiving the balm of Christ to remember that, oh, Christ died even for that thing that I thought maybe he couldn't die for. And, you know, one other thing on this is that uh, one of the things that I think about this verse a lot as a church, I've talked about a lot, this idea of confessing sin 
and being an important aspect to building a community. And uh, one of the things we're kind of building into the structure of our church coming in this fall to aid in building these kinds of relationships so we can share our sins and, and carry each other's burdens is in the fall, we're going to start our, our first round of home groups. And uh, in these groups, they're going to be focused on eating together and praying for each other in, in homes with each other. Very simple. But the point is to get us in contact with each other, building those relationships, those, those, uh, those tangible connections with one another, that deep fellowship with one another, that we can actually begin to share those deep things uh, with each other. And more information will come later this summer on that. But, you know, as we think about this, this simple but very hard truth of confessing, may we become a community that learns to walk in the light of, as God has 